Good morning, 360 family. Could you see it today? Could you see creation worshiping with us in your mind? Could you envision heaven with thousands upon thousands upon thousands worshiping with us? It's not just on a church in a, in a church on a street corner. It's, uh, it's much broader and much more profound than that. So we join today, and at the centerpiece of that worship is Christ. And uh, we're here today because um, of, of who he is, what he's done, and what he still does for us. And that's the, as we launch into a new collection, this is, this is the, Christ becomes the centerpiece. I was thinking about uh, things that in my life this past week, you could name them as well, that were unnecessary. Uh, there are things that we do. I'm, I like to be efficient with my time. I have schedules and to-do lists and all those things. And, but, and so it bugs me to do things that just seem unnecessary, but we all have them. And uh, there are things that seem to be helpful and important and all those types of things. And, and if you're a scheduler like me, I, you try to, you know, to distinguish between those things. So when you think about life, there are some things that you know, are totally unnecessary. Let's say like ironing your socks. Uh, are there any sock ironers in the room? Uh, if yes, anybody iron their socks? We, if if you do, we have a group especially for you. Uh, there's something wrong with you. Okay, just to let you know if you're ironing your socks, right? So you know, totally unnecessary. You don't need to iron your socks, and and uh, you don't even need to fold them. Just throw them in the drawer, and they'll be fine because nobody's looking and nobody cares. There's there are things that we do. I think that are helpful in life that, uh, that, you know, if you did them or not, like washing your car. You know, I have like an annual uh, washing of my car. <laughs> and uh, right now, you know, it's, it's a red car, but the, I don't know what the combination of red and green is because that's the color of my car currently, you know, is that green film. And I figure I'm not going to wash it until, you know, it finishes greenizing everything, you know, the, the tree that I park under until it's done doing its thing. There is no point, but, you know, it'd be helpful, but it's not that important. At least it isn't to me. Then there are important things like flossing your teeth. That's all, you know, there are probably people here that all of a sudden you feel guilty. You know, if you haven't flossed, they haven't flossed in 2018, it's not going to kill you. It may bring some, you know, bad consequences, but, you know, it's not, it's, it's important. Then you have those things that are, that are we're going to say, imperative, that you must do, that things in life that have to be done, there is no choice. For example, drinking water. This is, this is one of those things where it's imperative. In fact, you can go longer without eating than you can without drinking. Did you guys know that? Like if you ever, I, I just, for whatever reason, I watch these survival shows. I have no idea why I watch them because I hate camping and I'm never going. So uh, I don't find, you know, uh, maybe one day I'll be in Starbucks and need survival techniques. You never know. But I watch the shows anyway. And I, so I've learned that you need water. Well, when I was a first uh, believer in Christ, man, I was just full throttle. No matter what it was, if we're going to have a prayer meeting, boy, I'm there. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. You know, you got to tell us about Jesus. Man, I'm all there. I bought a bag of Bibles, and I'm the, the obnoxious guy standing on the street corner giving out Bibles. Man, we're going to do it, whatever it is. So when it came to fasting, I'm like, man, I'm going to go 
all in. So my first fasting experience, like, I'm not gonna just do one day. I wanna do like a three-day fast. And so I decided to, to do it, and then I was going to kind of end on Saturday, Sunday, you know, and so um, I, I just went just all out. And so I happened to live uh, in an apartment building right next to the church. So it was just like a little 20-minute uh, jog over to, the, to my apartment so I could come and go. Well, this was an old-school gospel music church, and so uh, some of you will know this, but there was a, a piano on one side and an organ on the other and you know, a lot of head nodding going on, you know, when you're doing your thing, and I'm a, I'm a pianist by trade, and so I played the piano. Well, on the third day of my fast, I didn't know the rules, the imperative part about drinking water, and so I had not eaten nor dr- drunk, drink, drinking anything um, for, for three days. My heart rate coming into that Sunday morning was about 15, 15 beats per uh, hour. And so um, it literally, I thought, I think it's going to stop because it was gonk, gonk. And so even on myself, I'm like, dude, I, I didn't know, you know, so... So it's about 15 minutes before the service. I thought, well, you got to play the piano so I shouldn't die before, you know, I play the piano. And so I jogged it over to my apartment building. And then I learned the second imperative rule of of fasting is how to break a fast. Uh, Here's one way you wouldn't want to break a fast. Eat a half a carton of Fig Newtons. Uh, That's not the best way to break a fast. Because that creates like this atomic bomb through your system that you can almost feel like this clump of fig or whatever that stuff is they put in there, which is quite painful. Uh, You know, like, so uh, they just thought I was getting into the hymns. I was just writhing in pain, you know, when I was playing piano. So I, I found that, you know, and we do throughout life. When it comes to our spiritual life, there are some things that are helpful some things that are important, some things that are unnecessary. What style hair you wear, Uh, you know, if you wear blue jeans or not, just totally unnecessary stuff and all that. But then there's some imperatives. And like our schedules, our lives, we would want to say, hey, let's talk about those. And there's some imperatives on our end and some imperatives on God's end. In other words, those things, speaking of God, that he had to do, that there was no choice in the matter. So today, what we're going to do is begin by putting our thinking caps on, just to be honest with you. If you're, if you're still kind of waking up from turning your clock and everything, just shake your head real quick or borrow some coffee or, or whatever it takes. But quite frankly, I, I, I say this from time to time. I think uh, so many of us in the American Christian culture are tired of, let's just do marshmallow. Let's put, let's think. And then because the more you think, the more, the, the more deeper you get with Christ. And Christ invites us to say, use your mind, love me with all your mind. Um, because it affects, what we're going to talk about today affects every moment of your life. Some of you may lack confidence today in your relationship with God. Does he still love me? Did he ever love me? Does he know about this or that? Some people may think, gosh, I, think I can sometimes feel God's patience running out with me. 
And maybe there's a certain level of runway, and then it, and then it runs out, whatever that may be. And to be honest with you, we all have those moments. You may not live in that, but you, you, you'll vacillate at times, especially when things happen that are super difficult. And there are moments like of confusion or questioning or even anger with God. And, and, and so today, I think it's relevant that we have this conversation. So I'm going to um, use this chair as kind of a, a dividing line. If you're listening on audio, I've just put a chair on center stage. To the, to the right of this chair or to your left of this chair, let's just say this represents all history up until the place that Christ came, and the chair would represent those years that Christ was on the planet, that he came, he lived with us, he died for our sins on the cross, he came back from the dead, he spent about a month and a half after the resurrection, many people don't know that, walking around and still interacting with people, and then he, he ascended into heaven, and then let's call this side of the stage to your right, let's call this everything after that, including today, March 11, 2018, this is where we are today. My proposal to you is that the human race needed Christ desperately before he came to earth. And I would propose to you that we desperately need Christ even now. Because there are times where we can get linked into this thought that, oh, now he's come and it's all done, he, it is finished, etc. And whew, glad that's, that's over and done and taken care of. And but now, it's, you know, we can just, uh, we don't almost need him. He's already done the transaction, so to speak. But what the Bible teaches is that Christ is still at work in a different way than what happened on the cross. And it's a work that you need. It's a work that I need. So here's the dilemma. So up until this point, we all know that the human race was broken. It was contaminated, in fact, in such a a profound and nuclear way. What I mean by that is that we inherited this sinful nature through the bloodline that came from the seed of man into women, and we all got it. And I would say, okay, I know that's heavy and all that. Let's not get stuck on it. But, you know, I say it from time to time and quite frequently, if you don't believe in that, all you have to do is read the headline nudes and you'll know that we're all in a heap of trouble, right? I mean, we're, we're contaminated, every single one of us. No one, in other words, can look in the mirror and say, boy, I've done this perfectly. And it starts young. There's no manual how to sin uh, for dummies, right? It's just, it starts, and we, we just naturally are greedy. We naturally have uh, thoughts that are unhealthy. We naturally have this, this contamination, right? So now the challenge is that we've, we've formed this gap between us and God before Christ came, right? So God says, let me, let me take care of that, and I need a temporary way in order to bridge this gap between humans and God. And the way that God chose to do it was brilliant. You see, God is perfect in every single aspect. He cannot not be perfect. He cannot have darkness. He is pristinely perfect. That means he's perfect in love. He's perfect in judgment. He's perfect in mercy and compassion. He's perfect in, in truth. 
And so when it comes to God, we would say as humans, well, why don't you just let the whole thing go and just say, hey, I, I know you guys have blown it. I know you're broken. I know you're sinners. You're sinful, et cetera. Let me just let it go. Well, that would have been perfect compassion, but not perfect judgment. And because God is perfect, he, there had to be a judgment for our sin because he said to Adam and Eve, if you sin, if you break the rules, if you, you, you will die. And there's going to be a penalty here, okay? So God, in all his brilliance, says, here's what we're going to do. Temporarily, for a long number of years, we're going to take an animal and we're going to transfer our brokenness onto that animal and we're going to kill the animal. Now, I know that's, that's harsh and that's heavy. But the option of that is even heavier. See, the option, in other words, when it comes to the penalty of sin, there's no fooling around. Now, I know in our American culture, we like to, you know, fluff things around, put a lot of icing on it, make sure we don't even say the word sin. You know, we'll just use the word mistakes, and we all feel better about it. Dude, I'd rather know if I got something wrong with me, and then I know to go to the doctor or not, right? If we just keep putting icing on it just to make ourselves feel better, then we don't need a Savior. Rather than saying, let's look at square in the eyes, and God took sin and the consequence so seriously that he says, it's got to be a life that's taken. That's how serious it was. I don't care. God doesn't care if I like that, if I agree with that, if I even understand that. It's just a fact. It is, well, imperative. You see? In other words, it is imperative that the consequence of sin. So God is in a quandary. It's like, man, I've got this perfect love. I love them. I've got this compassion. I've got this judgment over here. What can I do? Now, I don't know if he paced heaven's floor over that and angst to find a solution, but I will say this. The solution was nothing less than brilliant because what God says, I'm going to take a life, but I'm going to do it with an animal because an animal doesn't have a soul and there won't be an eternal consequence to this animal having their life taken. So I'm going to transfer your sin. There were times when the priest would literally lay his hands on this animal. It's where we probably get the name scapegoat. And they would transfer mysteriously our, the, the penalty of our sin, and it satisfied the judgment of God. Are you following? Now, I know 21st century, like, if you don't know the Bible, your minds are going, ah! But that's okay. All of ours did at one point until you, like, see the beauty of it. Now, God had an option at this point. He could have said, hey, I'm just going to keep doing that century after century after century, and, and just we're going to keep substituting animals. And so today you'd come in, there'd be an altar, and it'd be, it would be, you know, for most people, kind of un, intolerable. You know, it'd be kind of crazy, right? But God said, I, I don't want to keep doing this. But it was a picture of what was to come. You see, the book of Hebrews, as heavy, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews today, and boy, that one's a heavy one. It's a heavy one. But it's a beautiful one because it's kind of like a, the book of Hebrews is kind of like a highlight reel. It, it says, hey, look, let's look back into history. And so all those things that were happening, let me tell you how they relate to you today. And it's, it's really beautiful. So God said, here's the, 
So here's the thing. I'm, I'm going to substitute these animals temporarily. But here's the part that it gets. You got to put your thinking cap on. All right. Ultimately, the, the sin contamination was within the human race. And God had to resolve the issue within the human race. In other words, there needed to be ultimately a human being whose life was taken because sin came through one man and we needed to be reconciled and rescued by a human being, someone within the system and yet outside the system because inside the system we all got this contamination. So he's got to be inside the human system and outside the human system. And if you're God, you're like, wow, how am I going to get this done? And God then gives to us a brilliant solution to the problem. Now, if you're completely confused, um, come back next week and we'll have the 101 version of that. We're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to hover this week. Sometimes we move around. It's kind of hard to follow, but we do hover this week in Hebrews chapter 2. Consider the brilliance of what we're about to see. The common words in the Bible are super important. The common words in the Bible are super important. And so is when we look at Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. The first word in this sentence is super important. If we can go ahead and put it on the screen. Since, big deal. Since the children that's talking about us, children of God, have flesh and blood. That means we're not angels. We're not just spirit beings with no body. We're not ghosts. We're not just spirits floating around. Since we have flesh and blood, Christ too shared in their, our humanity. You see, because we're flesh and blood and we needed to be rescued from this contamination, The Bible is saying that it was imperative that Christ also became flesh and blood and shared our humanity. Why? So that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives, like us, were held in slavery by their fear of death. Let me me break it down, okay? Here we go. If God had come to the planet and he was just this spirit floating around, he would not have gotten the job done because we needed someone in a, in a human flesh and blood that died and came back from the dead to prove that human beings can die and come back from the dead. If he were just a ghost, we'd say, okay, well, that happens with ghosts, I guess. If he were just a spirit, we're like, well, I guess that happens. But see, Christ said... I'm coming back from the dead in a bodily fashion. That's why I said, Thomas, you can touch my hand. Let's have some fish and chips. I'm going to eat because I've got still this body because Christ said, I will be the first to penetrate the walls of darkness and death and prove to you that you too will come back from the dead. And in order to do that, it was imperative for him to be a human being. Are you following Listen, it's important. It wasn't just a nice option. Oh, that's nice. He became like us. It's not. It's much more than that. 
Christ said, in order to break the chains of death, I need to die a bodily death and be raised a bodily resurrection. It matters, listen carefully, and it matters in a culture that wants to change it all up. It matters in a culture that says maybe it was just a spirit. It matters in a culture that says maybe he was just a, just this was kind of a spiritual phenomena. Well, it was a supernatural phenomena, but he did it with the same frame you and I have. And therefore, when we take our last breath, we can say it is not over because Christ came back in his flesh and blood. Make sense? That's not the end of it. So that takes us to this point right here, that now Christ has come. But my proposal to you is that we still need Christ to do his work for us today. And it was imperative for him to become a human being. Watch, here we go. We continue in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 16, and this is kind of the camp we're going we're gonna to place ourselves. Watch. For surely, in verse 16, it is not angels he helps. You see, because if it was an angel he was helping, guess what? He'd have to take the form of an angel. You see, the writer of this book, and we don't know who it is, by the way, the writer of this book is saying, you see, it's not, he's not helping angels. He's not helping spirits. He's helping human beings. For surely, it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. That, uh, we're descendants of Abraham, spiritually speaking, right? Watch this. Now, in verse 17, for this reason, for the reason he's not helping angels, but he's helping human beings. For this reason, here's the words. He had to. God had to. It was imperative for God to be made like his brothers, big deal, in every way. In every way. Why? In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he may make atonement for the sins of the people. All right? In other words, Christ came down and he, because he was made like us, he understood when we face temptation, he got it. Because the Bible says that he was tempted in every single way. Say, Steve, are you telling me that Christ was tempted with greed? Absolutely. If you read the New Testament, Christ came face to face with the devil. He was tempted and the devil said, I'll give you all this. I'll give you all this if you just bow down. And in that moment, Christ, who did not fall, in that moment, Christ felt the weight of like, oh, man, I feel this magnetic resistance, this magnetic pull toward temptation. Like, wow, I could have every kingdom of the world. You see, he felt that. Was he tempted to lie? Sure, because he was tempted in every way. Was he tempted to gossip? Sure. Don't you know? I mean, hanging out with Peter, that he just must have been tempted to, you know, have lunch with John. Do that to Peter is getting on my nerves. <laughs> Was he tempted to have physical relationships that were unholy outside marriage? Yes, he was. How do I know that? Because he was tempted in every way. 
and he failed at none of them, but the value was that he, under, he felt what it felt like for us to go through it. This is hugely valuable. You see, if I'm going to have somebody that's going to represent me, I want them to know my case. Do you know what I mean? In other words, have you ever been in a scenario where someone had to represent you, like a lawyer or, or some representative? I have, several times. One time we, were, we had this thing going on in the school board, and my, my wife and I had to go and try to be an advocate for one of our boys. So we come into the conference room, and they got this super daunting, long, you know, uh, table, conference table. And when you're nervous, it looks like 30 yards. It's not, but you know what I mean. You're, you're coming in, and there's Dr. So-and-so, and there's the county, this, that, and the other, and there's, the, you know, the assistant, this, and then that, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they go around, they introduce yourself, and they come down to you, and you say, yeah, I'll just introduce myself. I'm nothing. Uh, and this, this is Mrs. Nothing, and so we're here. And now, you know, you've, you've sufficiently intimidated us, and so here we are, like, you know. And so uh, we made our case, and uh, we failed. We failed. It was too intimidating. We didn't know the game. We didn't know the ins and outs. We didn't know the counter. We didn't know the arguments and all those things. So the following year, we had taken one of our boys, the same, same boy, and we had gone through this, this uh, training, et cetera. And so we had this advocate for us. She was brilliant. She knew the system. She knew what they were going to ask. And she knew our story. When we went into the meeting, as we're going in, she just very calmly said, let me do the talking. And we're both of us like, no problem. <laughs> Arguments came across the table. She slid something across the table. Well, we might consider this. Arguments came across the table. Well, you don't know about this. We sat there just as quiet as church mice. Didn't do anything. It took about 15 minutes, and we got exactly what we intended to get a year ago. Listen, if you're going to have an advocate, you want them to know your story, and you want them to be an expert. You see, Christ, what we're saying is that, what we're finding is that it was imperative. What if he had not become a human being? Think about it. Would you have the confidence that you'd have this advocate for you on this side of the cross this morning when you went and say, God, I, I'm struggling with this, or I blew this, or I, I can't, and whatever that is, Christ says, oh, I fully get it. I know, and I can represent you. You see, in the Old Testament, they had a representative that was called a high priest, and that high priest had compassion for the people, and he was the go-between between the people and God. So just a few chapters over in Hebrews chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 1, for every priest chosen from among men 
is appointed, watch this now, if you want to know who Jesus is, you may be thinking he's Savior, he's Messiah, he's King, he's all of those things. But today, I just want you to see Jesus as your advocate. Let me rephrase that. He's your expert advocate. Because other than that, you don't have one. It's not me. Don't look at me. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a, you know, some, some segments of religion and even Christianity says, oh, you, gotta, you need a human go-between. Not me, man. I'm not trusting that. Don't, don't come to me. Say, hey, Steve, would you pray for my sins or anything? I'm like, not going to go well because that's not my position. But in that day, watch this. For every high priest chosen among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. On this side of the cross, are you ready? On this side of the cross, you think, hey, what's Jesus doing up there? Listening to heart music? Oh, come on. Jesus, listen, is acting on your behalf and your relationship to God right now. He's our advocate. The high priest is to act on the behalf of men in relationship to God, to offer gifts, sacrifices for sin. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, that's us, since he himself is subject with weakness. Christ, equal to God, made himself subject to weakness as a human being, still fully God, still fully human, but that human side of him got us. He, he understood us. Is it making sense? Is this relevant? You better believe it's relevant. So when you come to God, maybe right now, this morning, tomorrow morning, you have this sense of like, I have an expert advocate for me. If you take that away, and you take Christ away, who's, who came through the human race, if you take that human experience away, then you won't have the same confidence. It was imperative that he went through what you went through. Does that make sense? Now watch this. I just want to zero in on a couple things that is being said that he became our merciful and faithful high priest. And I was thinking about those words a lot this week, and I thought if I were going to have an advocate for me on the spiritual end, there's some things that would be unnecessary uh, he's good looking. He's a looker. I don't care. Think about it. Let's say the scripture said Jesus was really good looking, and therefore he's your high priest. Well, that's stupid, right? That's unnecessary. Let's say that Jesus, we're told that Jesus is your high priest because he's really super smart. Okay, well, I'm glad he's smart, but I don't know that that helps me anyway. You see, what I need from a high priest is someone that's merciful. In other words, someone that can say, I understand, because I've been there, and I'm going to have mercy on you today. You see, in Hebrews chapter 2, in verse 17, okay, I'm going to say what I'm about to say very cautiously on a theological, on theological ice that I'm walking on but I'm willing to take the risk because I think it's important. Now watch this. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. For this reason, 
He had to be like his brothers. It was imperative that he became like us in every way. Why? In order that he may, might, big word, become. In order that he might become a merciful and high priest. Many of you know I play piano. I became a pianist. I wasn't born a pianist. Some of you are accountants. You became an accountant. You didn't come out doing algebra, right, or whatever you guys do. You, whatever, whatever it is you guys do, whatever it is, plumber, carpenter, you know, whatever it is, you became that. Would you agree? Look at, at this. Don't miss it. He became like us in every way. Why? In order to, that's a big thing, in order to, that he might become merciful. So Christ came. He had to be a human being. It was imperative so that he could become. He was not experiencing the weight of our temptations up in heaven. And he came and he became something. Christ, the perfect, became something. He became merciful because he was willing to get close and feel what we did. For me, I'm like, woo! But maybe that's not you. What if he had not become a human being and gone live through the portal of our humanity? What the scripture is saying is that there would be a level of mercy that perhaps would not be as tractionable. Now look at the word faithful. Here's the second thing. So I want, I want to know that my God, because he went through the human portal, is going to be merciful because he understands how hard it is, okay? And the second thing is, I want to make sure it doesn't run out. Because quite frankly, I, like you, have Achilles heels. And from a human point of view, there are times you, you think to yourself, have I done it one too many times? Because I'm that way as a human. If you're a parent, have you ever said in your life, that's it, that's the final straw, right? I've done that a lot, <laughs> daily. We have this kind of limitation. So, you know, I'm on Twitter, and I don't tweet all that much. And so I have this other program that tells me who unfollows me, okay? And guess what I do to those who unfollow me? Mm-hmm. I unfollow you. I know it's sinful, but so are you. Who cares? We're whatever. And it feels so good. Bink, went a little click, and you're off my account. So I've got this program that says, you know, here's Bob Smith, and it's got a, a big orange circle. And all I have to do is click the orange circle and it turns into a check, which means I'm no longer following you. So it's been a while since I've caught up on my Twitter account. So early this morning, I was going through and just having a marvelous time, just getting people out of my life. Isn't that, doesn't that sound like a pastor? It's like, it's awesome. Anyway, I'm like this, click, click, click. I almost had like a little you know, kind of salsa rhythm going to it, this whole thing, you know? 
And then I got down, and all of a sudden, this alert comes and says, you have met your daily limit to unfollowing. I didn't know I had a daily limit to unfollow people. You see, God's daily limit to unfollow you is zero. There will never be a time where God says, I've had it with you. Click. I've, I've had it with you. Why? Because faithful means it has no end. Faithful means no matter what. Woo! Times two. I need somebody. Listen. Think about the brilliance of these two things. Could have been anything. He's really smart. He's good looking, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I don't need that in a high priest, an advocate. What I need is somebody that understands me so much that they'll be merciful and they'll get me and it won't run out. A perfect pairing for a high priest. You see, this morning, God said, everything that I am is all available to you for the rest of eternity. First John 1, 9. If we confess our brokenness, our sins, our mistake, watch, first thing up, he's faithful. He's faithful. It's not going to run out. He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from every, all, all of the above, unrighteousness. Guess what happens? I got some confidence in prayer. If I stand on the word of God, I don't need to wonder is he going to like me today? Was the qualifying score, our kids go to a school, you got to get a 2.5 average, and if you don't, you get a letter. And quite frankly, we get fatigued of living underneath that threat. It's fatiguing. What if God had a, like a 2.5 if you drop down below this, man, just think about that. He said, well, you got an F again, Steve. And my mercies are new today, this morning. They were new. Watch this perfect pairing in Lamentations 3. The steadfast love of the Lord, it never runs out, man. It never ceases. And here's the coupling. His mercies never come to an end. Every single one of us on this side of the cross should be sitting here today and saying, thank God, this is our high priest, our advocate. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every single morning. Here it is, the pairing. Mercies and great is your faithfulness. It's exactly what we need. Hebrews 2.18, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able. We have an able advocate today for us. I got one more thing to say before we let we go. Here's the core principle of the New Testament. Here's the, here's the core principle of the New Testament. In every aspect, pick one. The core, the core principle of the New Testament, our, our, our part is this. Christ looks us in the eye on every aspect and said, as I've done for you, you have to do for others. It's imperative. 
it's imperative. If you're going to be like me, you got to take a swing at being like me. So guess what? This is why Jesus hung around people that other people didn't want to hang around. Because he understood that if I'm going to, if I'm going to you know, exercise mercy and faithfulness, I've got to hang around them long enough that I get them and I love them and have mercy on them. And then I'm not going to run out. If we are to be Jesus to the world, our mercy and our faithfulness cannot have a shelf life. Who is it today that you've unfollowed relationally? Now, there are boundaries that we have in life. I understand that, and sometimes it's un- that's, that's necessary. I get that. But who is it in our lives, in your life, my life, I'm not going to talk to them. I've had it. I wonder if there's a marriage here today. They would say, if you do this, it's over. Okay? If you do this thing one more time, it's over. Or because you've done that, you're on probation. You're on marriage probation. See, Christ calls us to the very hard thing like he did to come through the portal of difficulty and say to our spouses, no matter what, no matter what. You remember when we stood at the altar and I said, no matter what, I mean it today. It's new today. Start over today. I know you're a jerk. I'm a jerk. We're all jerks, okay? Probably some pop song. We're all jerks, whatever. We get that. But I get you and you get me. And it's difficult, is it not? I mean, this whole Mars-Venus thing, I'd like to have a chat with God about that. You know what I'm talking about? Men, I don't care how many books you read on love, respect, and all this stuff, there's going to be a mystery. There's going to be a mystery and vice versa. Women, we're stupid. Uh, it doesn't matter how many books you read, you're still trying to get us, but we still try. There doesn't, there's not a week that passes that I don't read a personality profile aspect of one of the people on my staff. Because I'm trying to make an effort to understand you. See, I'm a high J on a Myers-Briggs. That means I get it done, 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 done. My middle name is done, done, done. Let's get it done. Task, done, done. I've got people that are not like that on my staff that are processors. So it's tempting for me to say, what is your problem? This is the, this is the universal sign for what is your problem. I don't know if you knew that. You thought it was for airplanes? No, it's for, your, it's for people. I gave this to you at noon. It's now 12.15. You know, what is your problem, right? I have to understand, hey, not everybody's that way. <laughs> Some people are extroverts, and I'm like, you know, introverts are like, can you just zip the yap? But that's not, you know, whatever. You understand that's how they energize themselves. You get it. So what I'm assigning to you and what Christ, rather, is assigning to us is not easy. We like people that are like us. But see, Jesus said, I, I learned you in every way with all your brokenness. Um, here's the principle, and we're, we're, we're going to end with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. That mercy 
that was new this morning, God is assigning you to have new mercy this today for someone else. That faithfulness that doesn't run out from Christ, God is assigning to you. Don't let it run out. But you have to get close. What's becoming one of my favorite writers, his name is Brian uh, Loritz, and he just writes so much on multi-ethnic churches. It's just brilliant. And I want to end with his quote today that is so appropriate for us, I believe. And the quote reads like this, proximity breeds empathy. Distance breeds suspicion. Christ is no longer suspicious of you because he gets you. And he's empathetic. And it never runs out. It's because he changed the proximity from heaven to earth. So I wonder whose world you need to step into to picture Christ with new mercies and steadfast faithfulness. Father, today, God, we're profoundly thankful for Jesus Christ for saving humanity with such a brilliant plan, God, to become like us and, and in a human frame break past and penetrate the wall of fear and death. To return from fear and death victoriously in a bodily form to save us, God. Brilliant. But equally brilliant, God, to have an advocate for us today, not just 2,000 years ago, but today, who became merciful and faithful by going through the portal of humanity and changing the proximity from heaven to earth. I wonder, God, today, who's here, who have drawn lines in a, in, the, in a relational sand with someone whose mercies have grown tired and faithfulness is non-existent. God, you know us and you know our frame, God. And this is where we end and you begin. So I pray together for those that have said, I, I ran out of gas on mercy and faithfulness. And I just pray for your empowerment, God, your Holy Spirit to renew a Christ-like advocate within them. I pray, God, today for those sitting in the room who have convinced themselves, as I did in one chapter, convinced themselves that you don't even like them that they've gone over a certain line, that they're under a 2.5, that they've blown it one too many times. And God, I pray supernaturally that you would encourage them today with your word, not mine. With your word, God, that your mercies are new. Even on March 11, 2018, they're new. They were new this morning and they'll be faithful tomorrow. God, that you'll encourage their heart 
And they won't walk away, God, from your steadfast love, which really, really knows no end. Finally, Father, we pray for our assignment to be like Christ. It's a tall order, God, and we cannot do it without your fuel, without your, your Holy Spirit. But we give ourselves to you, God, to be endless in our faithfulness and mercies in relationships with one another and often the closest people to us. Because if we're not, God, endless in our mercy and steadfastness and faithfulness, how will anybody know, God, what you look like? Then that's our job, to look like Jesus. So, Father, we take this assignment and we lay it at your feet and say, God, we cannot do it alone, and you know it. Empower us, God, recipients of mercy and faithfulness to give that same mercy and faithfulness out today. We pray it for Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.